What's everybody? Thank you for uh, joining us. We have a strength coach that has been around winning for a while. He's at Villanova, um, went to deep in the playoffs, was at a Power 5 school in Clemson, was at um, North Dakota State, so saw a ton of winning football. Guy knows how to win, um, and he also knows how to program for speed work, right? Sprint Timber here, and he's very smart with real estate, so Mike Tucker. Welcome to the show, my man. How's life? Thanks, Coach. Everything's really good. Appreciate you having me on. Um, a small, small part in the machines is the place I've been. So happy to uh, happy to be on and talk talk shop with you all. We talked. I mean, you're in year six now. Um, for any of our young coaches out there that are like same same as you and I, we got here and we're like, oof, didn't think we'd be here as long as we are. Um, how did it happen? Like, what would be your piece of advice to any coach that maybe just got there? We we had our transition time for us football strength coaches in January. So if uh, a listener's out there is like fuck, this is new for me, what would you say to them? Yeah, I'd say that, you know, keeping your feet where they are is the most important thing. And you never know what the journey or the path will hold, right? When when we were talking earlier, we weren't sure that we would be there for very long, but it ends up being a right spot or, the you know, a good spot for that point in time. And you just got to live in the moment. So um, I think people chase logos way too frequently. And, you know, they get the allure of, oh, well, if I go here, it'll be a better logo. Um, we've both had opportunities a lot of other people have had opportunities chasing a big logo or doing you know being at a certain school um but maybe they don't learn at all or they have zero autonomy and then they get to another school and they haven't programmed for anybody and they just were a barking commander or somebody that um followed orders so you know they don't have any skills built up from their past whatever it may be and that's at any school it doesn't matter if it's a big or small logo it all depends on the location and you know the people in the building um what about anybody that may be listening and it is their first job or they're getting close to it and they're like, ah, I feel like I have imposter syndrome and I don't, I don't have the ability to take over. Did you have any of that or were you just had confidence naturally? I think every day you have to step outside your comfort zone and challenge yourself and be unsure about none of us know, I would say, at least me, I'll speak personally. I don't know 100% of everything that I'm doing is the right transfer, right carryover, right exercise to do at that point in time, right? I think you know 99% of it and then there's guesswork. Um, so understanding that, you know, I think everybody has that, but you know, you have to obviously command a group and, and run a group properly and make it safe first and foremost, and then logically progressive and increasing intensity, density, overload, all that good stuff. Um, but understanding that, you know, the job still has to get done. So if we're not challenging ourselves to learn more, be better every day, we got a problem. How have you been able to work within a high performance setting where you know, if anybody follows you on social, you do a ton with like the mental performance, for lack of a better term. And um, back when you were doing COVID, you had I forget her name, but you had the mental performance coach, and um, you just seem like Genta. There it is, and mm -hmm. you you seem like a really big advocate for it. How can you recommend our listeners do something similar where they're at? Yeah, I think mental health. You know, everybody it's at the primary forefront of of every single individual you come in contact with, whether it's the the, the jerk football coach you have to deal with or the AT who's stuck in their ways or the starting running back or the walk-on O-lineman, right? Everybody has those quote-unquote issues, whether I think most people, the problem that they face is they run into, they do it reactively. Oh, let me go talk to a psychiatrist after their, you know, anxiety hits or after depression. It's like, we need to be proactive. We need to talk about things. We need to put skill sets in place and the ability to cope and understand and learn and progress and navigate these tricky situations. Uh, it's the same thing with, you know, a third and long setting in football. If we don't drill it, if we don't practice it, why would I expect to be successful on game day? 
So if we don't drill and practice facing with adversity, understanding what coping skills are, learning how to do it, and then being able to adapt in that envi- in that tougher environment in that coping with that coping skill, it's not going to be successful. So I think that's for- first and foremost being proactive with it. How do you be proactive in a in a sport in a world where sometimes there's only one person working for an entire athletic department and you know the the notion of like oh hey Johnny like you just said hey if you're going to be around a dickhead strength coach forever and then or uh, strength coach or sport coach and then it's like oh go talk to the psychiatrist once a week like does that even really do anything in your opinion is it better than nothing or what are your thoughts because I know I have my thoughts on it. I think talking to a psychiatrist once a week is obviously better than not talking to a psychiatrist once a week. The people in the building, you have more. What I would tell people is I think we, we all have more of an impact than we realize, right? So my daily interaction, say it's my fourth or fifth hour coaching on the floor, my daily interaction with that fifth group, right? They don't care that I just had four groups right before, four hours of coaching right before. That's my moment to have that one-on-one interaction, that impact um, on an emotional, physical, psychological um, scale with that individual. So I think just having a positive impact on people day in, day out is really important. So that's the sport coaches around, the athletic trainers around, the players are around, um, you know, and it, it can be tougher at times, obviously, just being in the heat of the moment or, you know, like I mentioned, being at the end of a long day, but, you know, that next group comes in, it's okay, well, that's my moment with that individual. How were you able to, you know, build those relationships with the athletic trainers and the people in your building? Because, yeah, you've been there for a while and success leaves clues, like, what had been your strategy to build relationships with people in that building? I think it, uh, I think it fluctuates just like culture, right? That people are like, oh, the culture's set. No, the culture is very fluid. So understanding that, you know, your actions and your words day in, day out reflect what you end up going to be an outcome for the culture, for your relationships with those individuals. So if you're, a, you know, have a really good relationship with an individual for five years and you're a total jerk, then, you know, that takes a little chip that, that, that Bring, brings you down a rung in, in the ladder in their mind, right? Um, so I think just being open and honest and, you know, like for speaking with athletic trainer, for, for instance, we're all on the same team. We all have the same goal. Do we have different ideas and strategies to go about achieving the results? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, setting the foundation of that is, our, that is our goal in that moment in time and then understanding, okay, what are your ideas to get there? Here's my ideas and here's why, right? I think strength coaches, sport coaches, and ATs oftentimes will be like, well, this is what I like or this is how I've done in the past. It's like, okay, but why? Right, dig deeper, ask the five whys, continue to dig deeper into actual, the reasoning behind it. Is it research-based, is it evidence-based? Have you done it with 100 ACLs and you've come back in eight months instead of nine? Have you done it um, with 50 grade one hamstrings and instead of seven days, you're at five days? Like, why are we after it? Is it evidence-based, is it research-based? So understanding, you know, we're all on the same team, all searching for that same goal and then just being really open and candid and then at the end of the day, just not being a douche. Logistically for our listeners, how are, are you going about that with meetings that are weekly? Are you guys using like Slack or emails? Um, because again, you make it sound really easy. So if people are just brand new to this concept, how do you recommend they do it? It is not easy. Uh, I'll start off saying that. And honestly, I don't think we have an elite system in Villanova. I don't. Um, our offices are 20 feet from each other. So that is a good thing, right? My head, my office, head coach's office are like three doors down. And then the AT, I could, you know, is, is another 50 yards away. So, um, it's a lot of in-passing conversations, a lot of note-taking, a lot of, you know, we hit the warm-up post-practice, and then we bring in our, our injured guys, whether it's red shirts or yellow shirts, and guys who are completely out or guys who are, you know, slightly modified, and then just all of us having a conversation. Hey, here's the plan. Here's where we're at. How are you feeling today? Right? How was yesterday? We had, you know, you have a grade one hamstring. We did some power speed yesterday at 75% intensity at like 50% range of motion. 
How do you feel today? Oh, yeah, I'm sore. All right, well. Quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button. It helps us out and it helps you be notified when we have new content get released. So again, please hit that like and subscribe button if you enjoy this content. And with that, let's get back to the show. Ask the trainer, okay, hey, what do you think? Um, you know, I'm thinking we need to start introducing some laterals, some COD, you know, extensively before intensively and, you know, gauge and see how he feels following that. Um, ask the kid, hey, how do you feel? He's like, confident? Like, let's, let's try some stuff. And then it's got to be collaborative, right? The, I think the days of um, parameters of, oh, he's not at nine weeks yet, he can't do this, or he's not at, you know, 13 weeks yet, can't start a push-up regression for a malabrum surgery. Like, I just disagree with that entirely, right? Like, there's a reason Adrian Peterson can recover from an ACL faster than everybody. It's not because of a timetable. It's because of him as a human. Um, so understanding that every, every situation is slightly different. Um, I think we can obviously improve our system at Villanova, like I mentioned. But I think, you know, the open and honesty of, of our entire group, um, Tyler Wade, our athletic trainer, Mark Fronte, our football coach, um, and we have great kids. So understanding that, you know, those candid conversations and we're really open and honest with, with all of our guys. How do you go about then taking it with your staff? Because you, you lead, you know, other people that work with you. Um, how do you carry that into working with them and then how that gets, you know, ultimately on the floor, on the uh, field with the guys? Yeah, when it comes to, like, uh, return to play stuff, I think the the – we, we, we pretty much put guys in boxes, right? An upper body, a lower body, you know, a soft tissue, an acute or chronic, right? If a guy is, you know, a torn ACL, which we've luckily, knock on wood, not uh, had too many of them, but we will, you know, give those to, you know, maybe a paid intern and he'll write the program and I'll oversee it and I'll just say, hey, like this looks good, adjust this, adjust that. Um, but giving them autonomy in the program I think is important and then I'll take, you know, the starting middle linebacker who might have a soft tissue thing and we need him back in four days for, for the next game. Um, so we kind of bucket guys based on that and kind of divide and conquer and you got to have trust in your staff and in the people. So, and if they're not doing a good job, it's not on them, it's on me. So, you know, that at the end of the day is what it comes down to is like, Oh, th we didn't meet the mark on, on this return to play. Well, so-and-so oversaw him. Well, coach, that's on me. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's on me. I didn't oversee it good enough or I didn't educate them good enough or maybe I didn't do enough research or whatever it may be. So, you know, it all falls on me at the end of the day. Switching gears, I'm wearing the Sprint Timber shirt. Uh, anybody that's not familiar with it, explain what it is and where it started and where you see it going. Uh, it is a speed-focused month in September. Is It started during COVID out of complete boredom. I needed something to do. I needed to be stimulated. Uh, I'm a workaholic, and I don't say that as a badge of honor. I say that as, a, as an actual issue I work on. Um, so I was very bored, and I needed to do something. So uh, tried to start something that influenced and enhanced the field and educated coaches on the power of sprinting to build athletes and the first thing we get is oh well they must not squat or like do we have strong guys that are strong like it's just another method another metric that i think is very underutilized in strength conditioning and it's i i do think it's gotten better maybe it's um the blinders being taken off me maybe maybe that might be the case but i do feel like i'm seeing more and more coaches doing more and more speed stuff more and more transfer stuff on the field um, which is good to see for the field, but I think holistically, um, when was it, three years ago now during COVID, you just didn't see it as often. So maybe guys weren't promoting it and guys were doing it, but, um, you know, that's kind of the, the foundation and the reason behind it. Um, and then all the proceeds the last couple of years, I've donated the money to Athletes Against Anxiety and Depression, which just helps um, support mental, mental health in, you know, athletes. Um, whether you'll admit it or not, I, I thought you were and are fantastic with, you know, programming speed work 
Um, you know, because I feel like a lot of people did start to learn more and more about it during COVID, but you know, that was already stuff that you did learn or you knew, where did you learn a lot of that stuff and how were you able to apply it, um, as well as you were? Um, yeah, I think every, every day I'm asking myself questions on how I can be better. I can improve them. Um, a bookworm for sure. Trying like, like when the recruits come, I'm like, yo, I, I'm a nerd. Like at the end of the day, I used to be a meathead. I used, you know, I used to play linebacker. Like I'm a nerd now. Like I'm trying, my job isn't to have the, the, be the biggest, baddest dude anymore. It used to be when I played and that my job now is to make you the biggest, baddest dude and, and be robust and invincible on the field. Um, and that comes from knowledge and trying to understand and learn. So learning from Boo Shexnader, Charlie Francis, James Smith, Buddy Morris, like these guys were absolute legends in the field. And like, they're giving us the answers in these books. Like they're, they're literally spoon feeding uh, us the answers and people still don't take it, which is crazy. Um, so, and again, it's just a part of our system. So people will say, oh yeah, we do speed stuff. And then it's like, okay, well you give them no rest and you do it once a week. Well, it's like, well, you're not really preparing for a four days in a row of camp with that being said. Um, so, you know, I, I have a lot of great mentors in my life um, and, and a lot of that, you know, I worked with in the past and it demanded excellence from me. So I definitely appreciate that. And I also have a lot of mentors that don't even know who I am in the form of books. So, No, that's awesome. And I, I remember there was a couple of Zoom calls that we did together where you had, uh, you know, Ken, Ken Clark with being how close you guys were. Um, how often are you trying to collaborate with people because of the location that you live in? I'm trying to collaborate with people as much as possible uh, from locate like Ken's obviously awesome. He's 15, 20 minutes away. Um, you know, he's a good dude, but like at the end of the day, I know I don't have all the answers. So if something pops up and I don't know, I'm not afraid to, to call somebody in my network and just say, yo, can you help with this? Because I'm struggling or whatever. So I think like some coaches are afraid to feel like they don't have all the answers. Like I'll be the first one to say, I don't have it all. So when I have, you know, uh, you know, proximal medial hamstring issue like oh well, i'm i've dealt with distal lateral like whatever it is right like hey this one's really nagging it's catching on some of our you know top end power speed stuff like what have you seen what drills have you done like there's people who have much more experience than i do that that are smarter than me and and i'm thankful that some are willing to share so you know any chance i get in some a younger guy or you know somebody in my network calls like i'll always take it no that, that's awesome of you um Moving into a topic that I know you're very passionate about and I want to learn from you on is the real estate game. So one of the first words I heard you talking about was house hacking. And now I now know what it is, but for anybody that has no idea what you're talking about, what is house hacking and why is it important? Real estate can change your life as a strength and conditioning coach. Every strength and conditioning coach says they are overworked and underpaid. So with those two things being said, real estate is something you can utilize to be where your feet are to survive financially and enjoy what you do. Like I go to work every day. I don't work a day in my life. Like I don't. So, um, I get to wear a t-shirt. Like this is the most dressed up. I will be all week. Um, <laughs> but from a standpoint of real estate, I wish I started earlier. The only time I started was during COVID. Like I mentioned, I was bored out of my mind and I finally had some time to research and read and develop in other areas, non-strength conditioning. <clears throat> So with that being said, I started reading and researching everything I could. Um, so for any 21, 22, 23, like you can start as early as possible. House hacking is buying a house and having roommates that pay the mortgage. So if you are 23 or 24 and you live in the city of Philadelphia, right? Nova is like 25 minutes west. But if you live in the city of Philadelphia because you're an uh, intern or GA at Temple, Drexel, Penn, whatever, 
you can buy a three or four bedroom house with three and a half percent down, which isn't a ton of money, right? And it, and it sounds like a ton of money, but you can, there's first time, first time home buyers programs or other programs, you don't have to come out of cash pocket a ton. And then you have, say, a four bedroom, three of your friends live with you and charge them 550 a month for rent, and now your mortgage is covered. So you now bought that house with three and a half percent. And now you don't have to make a single mortgage payment for the entire year because you're living with your friends. It's a lot harder when you're 28, 29, 30, right? So some coaches I've talked to are like, talk, man, that's awesome. Like, I wish I knew about that. And I didn't know about it when I was 22. I wish I did. Um, so, but for the older coaches, you buy a duplex, a triplex, a quadplex, and now your roommates are the other units. So you don't even have to see them. House hacking. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's unbelievable. And where, so you had plenty of time. What were some of the resources that you were using to educate yourself on? Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki is like the number one just mindset shift uh, book. But I mean, I have a stack of twenty real estate books and every Bigger Pockets podcast. My buddies run the from high school run the Weekly Juice podcast. I think they're at like you know twenty or thirty thousand now on Instagram. They post a bunch of good stuff. Um, so any podcast or book I could get my hands on, Bigger Pockets is always really good. Simple Path to Wealth. Um, but they all talk about, you know, similar stuff. Um, and, you know, if I had been going back in time to when I was an intern, when I was a GA, I was on the ramen noodles and, and tuna packet diet with PB&J. So, like, 3.5%, I'm thinking, I'm like, dang, like, that was really hard. So starting a side hustle, maybe personal training, you know, and I know it's hard if you're at the gym, you know, 4.30 a.m. to 8 p.m., like, go take on that one client at 8 p.m., go make 100 bucks, and then stack that, you know. Like, there are ways that you can make it financially affordable for yourself. What have you been doing uh, real estate wise? You know, again, obviously you're working, but you've, you know, that was three years ago. So what have you learned since then? What, what are the moves that you've been doing? So, um, you know, my case study, I was 28. I bought my first house. It was a row home in, in Philadelphia, four bedroom, two bath, uh, modest house in, in uh, Roxborough, Maniunk. So kind of, you know, not the center city downtown, but right on the, you know, western part of the city. And I moved in to the basement, which was one bed, one bath. And I just got a girlfriend at the time. And I was like, all right, well, I found these three girls to live with. And they're all like from Colorado. They're in PA school. They're super nice, super clean. And she's like, oh, I don't know. Um, which, right, it's, it's weird. That's a weird thing. Like all my <laughs> friends are getting married. They're having kids. They're in, you know, their forever home. But I put down that, I put down 5% conventional loan because it was a cheaper rate at the time. Um, but my bank account went to under under ten grand with that one purchase, so it was like oh shit, like I'm I'm kind of strapped for cash. But now, I charge them seven hundred for a month for each room, and then it's at twenty one hundred. I wasn't paying a single rent payment, so I didn't pay any mortgage for a full. We're all almost on year two now. Taking a quick break from the show to talk to you guys about our sponsor, Team Builder. If you have any online training platform needs, Team Builder is the go-to place. Team Builder has the ability to integrate with velocity-based training tools. They have the ability to program and have notes and videos for all of your athletes and your clients. This is your number one stop shop. Been using it since 2019 when I was working at Towson. So I've used it, love it. Make sure you check it out. Go ahead, click the link down in the description. And with that, let's get back to the show. So for two years, I haven't made a mortgage payment on that house. So after the first year, I moved out. I bought a second house. So with another 5% down conventional loan. Uh, <coughs> And then I flipped an in-law suite and I don't know the first thing about construction, I hired a contractor, but I demoed everything. 
And then, so now I'm living in that house right now, and I don't see my roommates. The tenants upstairs pay 90% of the mortgage. So now I'm three doors, two houses, and I haven't made a single rent payment. Um, me and my buddy started an LLC, so we got, you know, a couple properties into that, but that's kind of group work together. It's a little different, but that's a very similar situation to how anybody else could be. And it's not having a ton of money on the side. It's saving up enough for three and a half percent down, 5% down, buying it, not paying anything. So now, you know, if you're paying a grand in rent, 1500 in rent, whatever it is, let's say you call it a grand, that's 12 grand just saved just from rent, Right. So now I save that 12 grand and then, you know, if you start a side hustle or anything else, that's another way to start that fund. So that house fund that you want, it's all plausible. Um, and that's not even talking about the tax, uh, the tax benefits, the depreciation of the property. So you can write off a lot of stuff. Um, not that I'm a tax advisor. Um, the property appreciates over time, right? The $100,000 house in 2000 is now $300,000, just the way the world works, right? Um, so you have this, the loan and then the loan's getting paid down, right? So say it's a $100,000 house. If I put down five grand, 5%, $95,000 is in the loan. Well, over time, that goes down as the rents get paid and the mortgage gets paid off, but you're not paying it, the tenants are. So you have loan pay down, tax, uh, the tax losses and the tax write-offs. You have depreciation on the property and appreciation for the um, value of the property. So that's kind of the four key things when it comes to, uh, you know, the benefits of real estate. So when people, you know, hear that, they're like, okay, how, did, how the heck did you move out and get a second home for a similar-ish rate? Uh, or, um, excuse me, down payment. Like, how would yep. somebody go ahead and, and, and do that, like, logistically? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, like anything, you can't be a, be a dummy with your money. You can't go out and, and pop bottles at the club and do all that stuff. Like, you have to be smart <laughs> with your money. But... But, re but realistically, like I was strapped for cash. Like I was 100% under 10 grand both times, like zero money left. Um, and then you have that incubation period where you can build it back up. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that because it's pretty stressful. And like my girlfriend's like, oh, I want to do this because we're we're flipping the the second unit, right? We're I'm just trying to flip that. So I'm paying the contractor. I'm doing this, and she's like, I want to do this, and I'm like, I don't think you understand. Like if I don't get this paycheck on Thursday, like we're not gonna be able to pay the contractor. And so instead of doing the work myself, which is something that, you know, people argue about, they'll say, hey, you should do the work yourself or you should pay somebody. I want it done well. I want it done right. And I want it done fast. So I'm not skilled. It's not going to be fast because I have a job. Right. And it probably won't be done well because I'm inexperienced. So let me pay somebody to do it. And then I can get somebody in the unit quicker. Um, so all those all those things that I just talked about kind of allow that process to take place. So. You have to be smart with your money, but then remember, after the first year in the first property, if I was paying a thousand dollars, that's twelve grand saved in just rent without even trying. That's twelve grand. If you're paying a thousand dollars, some people pay two thousand. Um, so you'll pay fifteen hundred. So without even trying, you can get a thousand dollars just in the rent saved. So then there's part of your down payment right there, if not the whole thing. <clears throat> All right. So now you're getting more and more people interested. Like, okay, it sounds doable. Uh, what about the difficulty of tenants and like you just said you want it done right smart like do you have a property manager how do you go about doing that what do you recommend what would you tell your old self so property manager is gonna do two things right it's going to eat all your cash flow so like say you your mortgage is two grand and you're renting the whole place out for three grand that one thousand dollars the property manager is going to take eight to ten percent right so it's going to take your cash flow but it's also going to alleviate all the headaches 
I right now, since I'm a small-time investor, you know, don't own a lot of units, I'm cool with doing the dirty work, with going, with answering phone calls, with handling problems, with talking about leases. Like, I'm okay with that right now. You know, you stack up and get 10, 20, 30 units, like that's, and you have a W-2, that obviously becomes a lot harder. Um, so for people who are just starting out, like it's not like my tenants call me every day and are asking about to come fix the toilet. And if they are, guess what? I'm not a plumber. I'm going to call a plumber and it'll be handled. Like, I don't think it's that big a deal because some people will say, I don't want to get into real estate because I don't want to go answer a call about a toilet at 2 a.m. Um, you can, you can set any parameter you want in the lease. Like, Hey, you call this number and it's business hours, nine to five Monday through Friday, unless it's in a complete emergency. Here's my backup. But otherwise, like, don't – so whatever parameters you set, like, they'll adhere to. Um, and being being somebody who's rented at places before, I think it's important to, you know, not be a dickhead landlord. Like, in all honesty, right? Like, um, we've all had good or bad experiences. I think a lot of people have had more so bad experiences with landlords. So it's kind of easier to stand out if you're, like, a genuine person sometimes in being a landlord because some people just aren't. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's time-consuming, yes, um, but – you know, if I'm going to go to work at Villanova for 8, 10, 12, 14 hours a day, like, why not spend an hour or two and develop myself and, you know, secure my future a little bit, at, you know, after the fact or, yeah. or in the morning before. Um, all right. What about if, you know, you, you're doing all of that within that area and you're from the area? Mm-hmm. Um, what if somebody is listening to this, like, hey, love the idea, Tuck, but I'm not in my forever place. I'm not living where I'm going to be. Like, I don't want to start doing real estate somewhere that I'm not going to be living forever. Um, based on your knowledge, and again, anybody listening, this isn't fucking financial advice. This isn't real estate. This is just people talking. Like, do your own research. Just picking his brain. Um, what would you say to somebody that's living, let's just say, I don't know, fucking Arizona, but they're originally from Colorado? Like, is it a pain in the ass based off what you've learned to try to manage stuff or, or real estate in a different state or whatnot? <laughs> so let's So let's look at it this way. If I had known what I know now 10 years ago, I worked in North Dakota State for three months. Let's say, you know, a, G, a normal GA is two years. But if I had bought one a year in Fargo, North Dakota, 10 years ago, what are those properties worth 10 years later, right? And say, and say just that $100,000 example, if a couple grand gets paid off a year by the tenants that I didn't have anything to do with, maybe you hire the property manager because you moved to Arizona or you moved to Colorado, all that gets paid down, then you don't even have to worry about it because the property manager is dealing with all of it. So if I were to move or if I were any issues were to come up where it becomes too stressful, just hire a property manager. Yes, it eats your cash flow. So you say your cash flow per month goes from 500 to 100. Great. Now I'm not profiting nearly as much, but I have zero headaches. The tenants are still paying down the loan. I'm still getting tax write-offs, still getting the property going up in value. Like there's still so many benefits that it outweighs the headaches in my opinion. Um, so like looking back, if I had a property at every school I've been at, like six different properties in 10 years, like I would be fired up. And then... You could, and then, you know, if you're strapped for cash, go sell one, like just sell one and pay off the others. Then sell, sell the, sell the one you bought in 10 years ago and use the loan pay down that the tenants paid. And then the property is not worth a hundred grand. It's worth 150 grand now. So now that's, you know, let's say guesstimate 75 grand in value. Like now just go throw that in the next deal. How do you, all right, two questions came from that one. How do you then handle sales and taxes to maximize your ability to then purchase further homes like you didn't sell the house that you first bought you just bought another house let's say you sell one to get something better for you um again hypothetically what does that look like for you and how how would you recommend it for our listeners so if you um level up and i haven't i haven't done this yet it's just 
stuff I've heard on podcast books, talking to real estate lawyers, real estate agents, and other investors. Uh, if you sell, just 1031 exchange it. So that's 75 grand in, in theory. The 1031 exchange is a tax. Um, you know, you don't want to get taxed on that on that profit, right? You don't want Uncle Sam taking a, taking a cut of that pay. So you take that 75K, you level up and say, hey, I want a 300K house instead of 100K. So we sold it for 150. So 75 grand, you can now take that and throw it down as a down payment on the $300,000 house. You just have to, I believe it's 60 or 90 days. It's some parameters. I'm not entirely sure on the timeline, but you have to secure like a couple different options for housing in the next, you know, 30 to 60 days from closing. Then you got closed within 180 days, something like that um, to fully, you know, get the tax, you know, again, not complete advice, just what I've heard on podcasts and other smart people. <laughs> um, okay. What if people are, you know, looking at interest rates and they're saying, Oh, interest rates are high. Does that, uh, as somebody who's real estate savvy, that's learning about it. Do they care? Like where, where's that going? It's, something to be aware of it's not something to be fearful of so just understanding that that's like saying oh well apple stocks you know high right now well 10 years ago it was a tenth of the price right um just like the houses 10 years ago were less in value so as interest rates go up yes your payment is more so understanding that hundred thousand dollar house at an eight percent interest rate is a lot different payment monthly than a hundred thousand dollar house at four percent interest rate it's just reality right so understanding that as long as your numbers are run correctly, like it's a math equation. It's not, oh, I really like the area. I really like downtown. But, you know, there's the margarita bar right next to like, yes, the location matters. Yes, the appreciation, all that stuff is going to come into play. You buy for cash flow. So if the numbers don't make sense cash flow wise, then don't do it. And that's including property management, maintenance, vacancy, capital expenditure. So if you have those factored into the overall equation, great. It's going to cash flow. Awesome. Pull the trigger. If not, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do it. I don't care if you like the area. Like it doesn't matter. It's a math equation. So people get very like invested in emotions with it, with a game. Um, same thing with stocks and, you know, to the moon, right? Like it's like, it's a math equation. Do the math. Um, within the math equation, how do you handle, you know, <clears throat> what do you recommend to people? What do you tell yourself guideline wise? Cash flow, what do you got to save for the rainy day for repairs? So that way, you know, of let's say you're cash flowing $500 a month, how much percent wise are you earmarking for this, that, and the third? So when I talk about cash flow, I say um, that's then that's all after the fact. So okay. that $100,000 house, right? If I put 5% down, it's 95 grand um, on the loan. Um, let's say for round numbers, the monthly payments, $800. Let's say 700, 750. So if I say that rent, that's going to rent at $1,500 or $1,000, right, that's all good. You have to set aside a certain percentage of the rent for, <clears throat> and you can look at comps in the area, right? I know this neighborhood, two bed, one bath, rent for X, Y, and Z. Here's 10 different properties that are all rented right now for that rate. So you have to set aside 5% for maintenance. Five don't have to. It's a conservative, smart measurement to set that aside for that. 5% maintenance, 5% capital expenditure, so the roof, the water boiler, the heater, all that. Uh, maintenance, capital expenditure, 8 to 10% for maintenance, and then 5% for vacancy. So your tenants move out in May, right? If you can't find somebody till July, that's a month where you're not getting paid, right? So understanding that all those things come into an uh, equation. So if it still cash flows after all those numbers are added in, property taxes and insurance, right? 5% down, you're gonna to have to pay some uh, additional insurance, PMI, primary mortgage insurance. 
um, and then check the tax in the area. So like understanding that all these things come into play and then boom, what is it cash flow after all those expenses are taken out? Because people will say, they'll be like, oh, you know, it's at 750, it'll rent for 900. I'm cash flowing $150. Like we didn't, what happens when the boiler goes? Because that's all, that's all tied in. Like it's still a part of the investment. If the boiler goes and it costs you five grand, like that's, that's got to come from somewhere. Um, so it's smart to set aside those reserves for that, um, like you said, rainy day fund. But it, it all depends on your kind of where you are in your investing journey. Um, the, people say 8 to 10% is awesome cash on cash return, 10 to 12 um, you know, is good. And then a home run is like 15% plus. So like, you know, I'll be honest, if, if you, I hit 10 singles, I'll be happy, right? I'll still have runners that score. If you hit, you like, because people will be like, oh, I need a home run. It's got to be 15%. It's like, we well, just missed on two doubles. And it's like you could add three doors or four doors on those doubles. Um, so just understanding that, you know, it's a math equation, yes, but you got to pull the trigger at some point. You said a couple of like, cash on cash return. Um, I've heard some, again, maybe some of our listeners have heard it too. AVR, IR, like what are some of these important metrics when they are doing the numbers and playing that math equation that you talked about? Yeah, and I might not be the most qualified person to talk about this, right, if we're being honest. Again, like, and I it's keep not it fucking simple. everybody. Any financial <laughs> advice, I'm picking his brain on a topic he's passionate about. So I keep it simple, and I plug it all into Excel spreadsheet. So all those things I just mentioned, like they're all, you know, are tied into the purchase price. So say the property is 100 grand, and, you know, we're still using this, this one example. And, you know, it doesn't cash flow. Okay, type delete a hundred. Type in ninety four grand. What's the cash flow? Oh, cash flow is fifty bucks. Is that worth my time? Probably not, right? Okay, ninety grand or, or eighty eight grand. Well, okay, cash flow is two hundred dollars a month after everything's said and done, and it's in a pre appreciating area. All right, like let's talk. Like okay, so there's a number that works out there. What is the number, right? And you know, if you go up to somebody selling a three hundred thousand dollar house and offer them one fifty, they're gonna be like, fuck you. Um, but you know, there's a number that works and you got to have the number that works in your head. So you got to know, you know, is there buyer's market or seller's market? If you know, there's 10, there's 10 offers on a property, you're not getting it for under asking. Right. Um, so it's all about, you know, the market and, t and not timing the market, but understanding, you know, what opportunities are there within the market. Cause there's a number for every property that works for you for cash flow. Some are harder. Yes. Um, and then you might have to add value and do, and you know, because then if I add value to the hundred thousand dollar house, I put twenty grand into it. Maybe it's worth one fifty, and now instead of running one thousand twelve hundred, maybe now it's running seventeen hundred. So there's a lot of different options out there. Um, general rule of thumb, like one percent rule, is, is is like something that's very like talked about in the real estate community. So you buy a two hundred thousand dollar property, make sure it rents for two grand. Like that's a, like a good metric, right? Um, to see if it'll cash flow. So that's understanding the rents in the area, and you don't have to do it where you live or where you grew up. Like, but understanding. Some people live in California or New York and can't afford it, so they just do it in Ohio or Kentucky where property is a little cheaper and they have a manager and stuff that they trust. Um, so it's just something that I think that me as a, as a younger strength coach, I wish I knew about 10 years ago. Um, and I'm, I'm listening and learning from all these gurus and all these guys. And then there are people in the space that are 22, 23, and they have 20, 30, 50 units, and it's awesome. Um, so I'm excited for you know to hopefully potentially help some strength coaches in the community that, you know, may want to help secure their financial future. Hey, and that, that's, you know, Kier's, Kier's episode is uh, out right now. So, you, you know, yours will be released afterwards. And obviously it's a topic that strength coaches, like you said, they talk about. Um, so what would you recommend to any of our listeners is, 
I guess what's the baby step? What's like that mini easiest hurdle to, to barrier to entry? Is it the house hacking idea that you mentioned? Is it um, Airbnb? Is it wholesaling? Like what's the best option for, for somebody to get in the game? House hacking is definitely the number one strategy for like entrance uh, because you need somewhere to live. So instead of me putting money into a landlord's pocket, I'd rather, if I have to pay, I'd rather put it into my own pocket um, and then get roommates. And especially if you're young, right? It's easy to live with your friends. It's easy to live with your buddies. When you're older, you know, you might not want to bite the bullet and do that, but you can buy a, a multifamily, a multi-unit, uh, duplex, triplex, quadplex, whatever it may be, and then those tenants pay your mortgage. Um, so th there's a thousand different ways, very easy, actionable steps to get to that because that zero to one is a lot harder than one to two. Um, so the zero to one steps is join a real estate group in your area, Right, very easy. Go on Facebook groups and just type, type in real estate or meetup.com and type in real estate in your area. There's going to be groups and people are going to be really smart there and they're going to present and you'll learn a lot. Right, buy a couple books, read them, hmm. non strength and conditioning books, <laughs> which is uh, you know hard for some of us to do to put down the, real, the strength and conditioning stuff and, and pick up like something else. And then, uh, what I say, I said real estate meetup, I said pick up a book and then podcast, right. Everybody's driving to work. Everybody's working out at some point. Like, listen to a podcast. Bigger Pockets, Weekly Juice. Um, those are probably my two go-tos for real estate. If anybody was like, hey, you know, these weekly meetups, what are some of the things that you that you did and that you recommended people to make sure that they're people that are, uh, you know, reputable? Uh, I mean, generally speaking, like you can, I don't know, I feel like you could sniff, sniff bullshit sometimes. So understanding that, <laughs> like, like, the, the ones I've been to, I'm in four <laughs> different real estate groups, I think, and, and they're all free and or like five bucks to go and, you know, you get dinner or whatever. Yeah. But like it's people, there's real estate agents, there's investors, there's wholesalers, there's people that are 20 that are like, yo, I'm just trying to learn. I'm trying to get my first house hack. There's people who are 40 that are like, yeah, I have 50 units. Like I'm looking for my next off-market deal here. So it's like a big spectrum of people at the ones I've been to. Um, and some of the meetups are more well-run and better than others. And some have presenters, some are just networking events. And you're just learning and talking to people. Like it's like going to the strength coach conference. You're learning and talking to people. Like it's all it is. And everybody wants to win, right? If a wholesaler, if a wholesaler gets that that hundred thousand dollar property for eighty grand, and he gives it to me for ninety grand, well, I just got a ten grand discount. He made ten grand. Like that's a good relationship for both people. So let's continue to do that. <laughs> um, so everybody's just trying to learn and get better and and elevate, you know. Um, so it, it's really easy to just go and um, you know be around like-minded people or people who are trying to to elevate themselves. <clears throat> this is something that you and I have talked about and maybe our listeners that do already own a house, they've been having this debate. So you educated me on it and I stopped doing it. Um, paying off your mortgage early versus investing the difference. Uh, why to do it? Because again, I did it, but I'm not going to give the advice when I'm talking to the person that gave me the advice. Uh, tell everybody as to why that is better. So if you have the $1,000 mortgage payment, and, and better, right? It all depends, like, the most important thing is your psychology. So if you feel better having a mortgage at $0 or paid off early, awesome, do it, right? On the formula spreadsheet, it does not make a ton of sense um, because historically, right, the stock markets return 8 to 10% per year. If your mortgage rate is 2% or 3% or 4%, that's a big spread. So your 100 grand, you know, loan at 3%, isn't a ton of interest compared to say you want to throw 300 extra dollars at it, right? But what could that $300 do in the stock market? So again, I'm not saying don't pay it off early. 
Because again, if you're going to go spend the $300 on a purse or on supplements, like maybe supplements, but go or coffee or something, you know, <laughs> go spend it on that. But if you're going to like just throw it away and not invest it, then, then pay off your house early. But if you want to potentially have a better, um, better use of your money in that moment in time with the 8 to 10% return, cool. A lot of people secured, you know, mortgage, mortgage rates in the last couple of years, two, three, you know, 4%, which is historically super low. Like everybody, like you mentioned earlier, people are freaking out about the market and the percentage and the interest rate and all that. Like, yeah, but 30 years ago it was at 11% and 15%. So like historically we're okay. Um, you know, so that's my two cents, but you know, if you want to pay it off great psychologically, it gives you peace of mind, well-being, awesome. If you are looking to maybe like the example I used, $300 extra, if you're going to spend it on something, don't pay off your house early. If you're going to spend it on, you know, if you want to invest it, I'd recommend paying, paying it off in the stock market. Um, you know, just my, just my word of advice, especially if your rate's super low. No, man, I appreciate your time talk. I know you're a busy man, so I'm not going to keep you any longer. Um, there's anything else that you want to like, you're like, Hey, I really, I wish I mentioned this, but, um, it's not, man, I'm going to let you go about the rest of your day and thank you for your time. Uh, no, man, I definitely appreciate you. I love all the content you're putting out. Um, one thing I, I wish I knew earlier was, you know, life outside of strength and conditioning, there's stuff that you can do. I know, you know, it gets glorified and being in the office super long and great, uh, you know, for the logo and the hours. And that's awesome. And some of my best memories are, you know, the 16, 18 hour days being on the floor, 10, 12 hours, fun. Um, but it's not sustainable. One of the things that in the field that you don't see a lot of is married, happy, old strength coaches still in the field. Um, and I don't know if, and we'll see if that changes. And I think it's a systemic issue. I don't think it's an individual issue. I think a lot of systems are set up for failure, um, you know, in this field, which is not a great thing. Um, so like, it, like it's funny, but it's not. Um, so, you know, I wish, you know, I wish there was better support systems out there. And, and I think being an advocate for that for athletes and coaches alike is important. No better way to stop it. Thank you very much, brother, for your time. Have a good rest of the day. All right, man. Have a good one. Thanks.